going to look together at uh, Romans chapter 1. If you'd like to find that in your Bible, Romans chapter 1. And uh, I'll just read from the first verse. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who, as to his human nature, was a descendant of David, and who, through the spirit of holiness, was declared with power to be the Son of God by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through him and for his name's sake, we received grace and apostleship to call people from among all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. And you also are among those who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Over recent weeks, we've seen in uh, those first seven verses how Paul is opening his letter by introducing himself to them. He is writing to people he has never met. Some of them maybe he does know from elsewhere, but on the whole, he's never met these people. They don't know him. They've maybe heard things about him. And so he is writing to uh, introduce himself ahead of a trip that he hopes to make to Rome. He not only introduces himself, he also describes them uh, in verses 6 and 7. You are among those who are called to Jesus Christ, loved by God, called to be saints. So he introduces himself and he describes them. Having done that, he then moves on in the second part of verse 7 to what really is his normal way of greeting people. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. You'll find an identical verse in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, in Galatians, in Ephesians, in Philippians. The same is there. Modified slightly in Colossians, 1 and 2 Thessalonians, Timothy and Titus. But generally, this is his opening greeting. And it is so normal that it's easy to just jump it. And move on to verse 8. Indeed, I was astonished to find that in a a substantial commentary on the book of Romans, and really a standard commentary on the book of Romans, this gets missed out altogether. No comment on it. There's comment on all in Rome loved by God and called to be saints, and it moves on to verse 8. So what is overlooked elsewhere? We're going to look at this morning. Because this is not just... Something that kind of trips off Paul's tongue. It is not just a a meaningless uh, kind of introduction. Same as if maybe if I was away from here and I wrote a letter to the church, to everyone at City Church, how are you? That little question, how are you, is quite meaningless because you can't answer. I'm writing a letter to you. And if you did answer, you know, 200 people telling me exactly how they are. You know, I've got a sore knee. I've had a bit of a cold. And No, no, it's just a conventional greeting. How are you? Is that what Paul is saying here? No. These words are packed with truth. And indeed, if you got rid of the rest of the letter and you were just left with the second part of verse 7, you've got the substance of the whole letter. Grace to you 
and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. That actually is what Paul lives for. That's what he wants to share with them. This is packed then. Grace uh, to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. It's possible that this, as I say, it's his normal way of greeting, that it's, he's kind of adapted the priestly blessing that you, we read back in the book of Numbers in the Old Testament, in Numbers chapter 6 uh, and verses 24 onwards. Uh, the, the, the priest would say, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. The Lord be gracious to you and give you peace. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. So possibly Paul is just kind of adapting that blessing, but he means it. And what he is expressing here is his prayer for them, what he wishes for them, and therefore, as we look at it this morning, I have to say, it's my prayer for you, and my wish for you, my prayer for myself, and my wish for myself. Grace to you, and peace from God our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. That first word, grace, obviously we are familiar with it. It's a word that appears time and again in this letter to the Romans. In fact, 24 times the word grace appears in this letter. It's, it's a dominant theme. Let's look at just some of those. We're not going to look at 24 references right now, but I'm just going to pick out some of them so we get something of the flavor of what Paul means when he says this word grace. What, what, what's grace about? Well, in chapter 3, verse 23, it says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. All have sinned, but are justified freely by his grace. Chapter 4 and verse 16, it says, The promise comes by faith so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring. Chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And then verse 20 in that same chapter, the law was added so that the trespass might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And just one more, chapter 6 and verse 15. What then shall we sin? Because we're not under law but under grace? By no means. And so it goes on. Grace is what makes the difference between being a sinner, being condemned and being accepted by God. Grace is normally defined, often defined, as God's undeserved favor. That's, again, a bit of a cliche now. God's undeserved favor. It's God smiling at us, God being favorably disposed towards us when we don't deserve it. God's undeserved favor. 
Just suppose at the end of this meeting, you know, we go downstairs for tea and coffee and to chat with one another. And at the end of the meeting, then I go out of that door, and as I'm about to head down the stairs, I pause at the top of the stairs for some reason. You're following me. And as you come out of the door, you turn to talk to the people behind you while still moving forward. A foolish thing to do, but that's what you do. You turn to talk, and you're still moving forward, unaware that I have paused at the top of the stairs. You hit me. I fall headlong down the stairs and land at the bottom in an unnatural position, unconscious. Paramedics are called. The ambulance comes. You're standing there stunned by what you've done. Didn't mean to do it, I trust. Didn't mean to do it, but there I am. Carefully put on the stretcher, taken away. You feel awful, I hope. You feel awful. And you then phone Mary later on in the day. She's not there. She's at the hospital anxiously at my bedside. And then you hear concussed, several bones broken, kept in overnight. Yes, you you can't do anything about it, but you're guilty. Then the next day, some flowers arrive for you from me. You think, he must have damaged his head more than I realize. <laughs> and then you, you hear that eventually I'm out of hospital but immobile. And you don't see me around for a while because I'm out of action. But something else isn't around. You suddenly realize the gas bill hasn't arrived. The electricity bill didn't come. The council tax bill shouldn't it have come. And... These things just don't come, and you do some investigating, and in each one you're told, oh, they've been covered. Who by? Well, you can't discover. And then you do some more investigating, and to your astonishment, you discover, by me. You knock me down the stairs, and suddenly, all these things, and then presents start arriving. Amazon sends you stuff and whatever. You know, what's going on? And it's all coming from me. That, I would suggest, is amazing grace. In fact, I find it quite unbelievable. So don't... (laughs) Don't, I was going to say, push me on that one. Um, (laughs) But, while all of that's happening, all of these good things coming, Sunday by Sunday you come, and there's Mary sitting on her own there, looking sad, lonely, and it's your fault So good things are coming, but actually the good things that are coming only make you feel more guilty. Because you suddenly remember not only what you did, but you think of all the other things. You think, times when you criticized me. And that's how I could start now pouring out all my hurts. But but you you think, and and you just feel guilty. So although it's grace, it actually makes you feel worse because of what you've done. The grace of God is better than that. Because the grace of God deals with the guilt. The grace of God takes away our crime. Takes away all that we've ever done wrong. Because Jesus took it all. He became guilty for us. It's all put on him. He's punished. And the full punishment has taken place and we are free. That is amazing grace. 
the, the blessings of God that keep coming freely, undeserved, and there's no guilt attached to it. We're not forever thinking, I don't deserve this. Grace has dealt with our conscience, and we are not now living under a load of guilt. That's what Paul is talking about when he speaks about grace. He says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely. Justified means the slate's wiped clean. Our conscience is wiped clean. It's dealt with. And we can enjoy God, not feeling, I've got to pay back somehow. We enjoy because it's grace. That's what Paul means by that. The guilt taken away and blessings coming from God. To understand grace then, we need to understand what we deserve and what we don't deserve. What we deserve and what we actually get. What we deserve, well, Paul speaks about it here in chapter 1, verse 18. He says, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men. That's what we deserve. The wrath of God against sin. We deserve God's severe anger. None of us can ever understand or get any kind of concept of what the wrath of God must actually mean. And hopefully no one here will ever encounter it. Because the only way not to encounter it is through faith in Jesus for our guilt to be taken away. But what we deserve is the fearsome, inconceivable, unbearable anger of a God whose holiness we can't begin to grasp. But a holy God, angry with sin. That's what we deserve. And what do we get? Well, Paul speaks in verses 16 and 17 of the of salvation. He says, in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith. Righteousness that is received as a gift, not achieved through what we do. Because we can't attain to the level of righteousness that God wants, but it's received by faith so that the righteous live by faith. Where Uh, Our guilt is dealt with, we're made righteous and saved out of a lifestyle that God hates. The whole thing changes. What we deserve, wrath, what we get, wonderful salvation. Saved out of everything we're ashamed of into a relationship with God. Now Paul is writing to people here who have received that. He is writing to believers. He he, he, calls those, he, he calls them saints in verse 7. Those in Rome loved by God and called saints. He's writing then to believers, and yet he says, grace to you. You might think, well, they've already received grace. They are now believers. They are now in Christ. But it's ongoing. It doesn't stop. It, the, what Paul is, is, is wishing for them is more blessing, more appreciation of who God is and what God has got for them. It goes on and on. The, uh, the, uh, The Apostle John, in his Gospel, when he is reflecting on who Jesus is, he says in John 1, verse 16, from the fullness of his grace, we've all received one blessing after another. 
out of the fullness of his grace. He's speaking about how rich God is in this wonderful quality of grace. And out of that, we receive, could be translated, grace upon grace. One blessing after another. This is ongoing. It's not just that we're saved by grace. And after that, well, now we plod on in our own efforts and we try and make it. And we try and earn God's approval. It's always grace. If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you have trusted him for salvation, then God's view of you this morning, whatever you think of yourself, God's view of you this morning is one of favor, one of a desire to bless you, a desire to do things for you, a desire for you to just enjoy him. It's grace upon Grace, inexhaustible, wonderful, because that's who God is, inexhaustible and wonderful. And this quality is a description of God. Blessing upon blessing, out of the fullness of his grace. Paul expresses it in chapter 5 and verse 2. Chapter 5 and verse 2, he says, Having been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this Grace in which we now stand. He says we're standing in grace. That is our position. We may be standing strongly or we may be standing feebly, but we're in grace. That is our position. We've been taken out of a place where we were deserving and earning. And what we were deserving and earning was God's anger. We're taken right out of that category of deserving things into a position of, I don't deserve it. It's grace, one blessing after another, and it is ongoing. It, it, it's never to be earned, it never needs to be re- repaid, and it is God's heart, grace to enable us to cope with whatever. Whatever challenges there are, whatever difficulties, whatever challenges to faith, there's grace, and Paul is saying grace to you. When we're at a loss, we think, I don't know how to handle this situation. There's grace. God's there. God's there. And maybe uh, maybe we have a ministry time on a Sunday and people are invited to come out and we're praying for people to be healed and we're inviting church members to come. You stand there and you suddenly feel totally empty. You think, what's the point of me putting my hand on this person and praying? Nothing's going to happen. I wonder how many feel that. I don't want a show of hands, it'd be too depressing. You think, me? I, he's calling for church members. I'm a church member. I better, uh, nothing's going to happen. Grace. Of course we haven't got anything in our hand. Of course we can't do anything. Remember when Peter and John are going up to the temple and there's that man who's disabled, has been there all his life. And Peter and John go to him and Peter says, I, I haven't got anything. But what I've got, I give you in the name of Jesus. What's he got? The name of Jesus. He said, I haven't got anything. And then everyone gathers around. They said, don't think that we did it. It's the name of Jesus that did it. What have we got in our hands? Nothing. Yeah, but there's grace. So as we lay hands on people, Father, I trust you now. Grace, we don't deserve it, you see. You can think, I'm not good enough to be used. I'm not good enough to speak out in the meeting. Jenny brought that word about a new kind of climate of breaking through and and bringing gifts and so on. And we can all just disqualify ourselves and say, not me. 
I hope so-and-so hears that. I hope so-and-so moves out, but not me. Grace to you. Grace to you. Grace to face the challenges. Grace to step out. And you think, but I haven't got anything. But then grace flows. It's one blessing after another. It's a continual supply from God. Unearned and undeserved. Grace to cope. Grace to conquer where we've been defeated. Where there are issues in our lives and maybe we keep failing on that point. It may just be some area of unbelief. I say may just be unbelief is always wrong, but you know, something we just can't believe God. It may be uh, some sin that just trips us up continually. No one else knows about it. And we think, will I ever win through on this? There's grace. Grace to help. The the scripture says that. Do you remember uh, what the writer to the Hebrews says in in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 16? Again, speaking about this new position that we have been placed in. It says, let us then approach the throne of grace. Notice the description of God's throne. It's a throne of grace. Let us approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Whatever the time of need. Whether it's we're praying for someone and we feel, I haven't got enough faith. Or whether it's conquering a sin or whatever, facing pressure, facing opposition, whatever. Grace to help. There's a continual supply from God of his favor and his help. So Paul says, grace to you. Talking to believers who have already received grace, but grace to you. And peace. Peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, this word peace is a very distinctive gospel word. In Romans, again, the word keeps appearing about ten times. Paul refers to peace because peace is what grace produces. It's the outcome of receiving grace. If we're in the grace of God, it's quite understandable, we're going to be at peace. That's, it, it comes out of it. In chapter 5, verse 1, again, we've quoted it a couple of times already. Being justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. This gracious gift of dealing with our sin causes us to have peace with God. So the first area of peace is peace with God. Our natural attitude to God is one of hostility, resentment. Some people even live with a bit of a grudge against God. Why did God allow that thing to happen? Why did that happen in my past? Why did that happen to that person that I knew? And there's a a, a grudge, a resentment, a bitterness. Some people even express anger towards God. And out there, uh, among people who are not saved, then there's just contempt for God. That is just another expression of hostility. When we are saved by grace, when grace deals with us and we understand grace, then there's peace. And those things are taken away, or should be. But Paul is wishing it to them. Grace to you and peace. If you see, maybe on television, a country or a city that's at war, 
The camera crew are there, but you see deserted streets. Everyone's hiding away in their homes. Maybe they've stockpiled food. It's not safe to go out in the street. It's a city at war. One or two people maybe will dash across the road hoping that they don't get hit. But there's fear and hiding. Then when there's peace, suddenly the doors open, the streets fill with people, and people move around freely. Peace. The hostility's over. It's now safe to come out. The grace of God says to us, it's safe to come out. Any fear of God is taken away. Any hostility to God is taken away. But it takes time to get hold of that. If you, if you travel anywhere in mainland Europe, you'll see all kinds of sites, of course, different from our own country. But one of the things you'll notice is that on almost every house, they have a feature that we don't tend to have. And that is window shutters. Oh, I see it. Older houses have wooden ones that they fold across the windows at night. Modern ones have electric roller ones that come down. But uh, and you travel, go around any uh, community in mainland Europe and you see the shutters come down at night. It makes the place look like it's kind of derelict, but that's what they do. Why? Well, it's been t- explained to me by someone who lives in Europe. The reason is that mainland Europe has been invaded so often. Countries invading one another. Here, living on an island... You have to go back hundreds of years to when we were last invaded. We're safe. We don't have shutters on our windows, unless you live in certain areas of Sheffield. But generally not. But where where there's a fear of invasion, then family indoors, shutters down, got to be safe. It's possible, and of course they're not being invaded, but it's a legacy of the past. It's in their thinking. For Christians, there is a fear. Uh, We've come out of a hostility towards God, a resentment towards God. We've now come into grace. We can still live with, let's pull the shutters down. That's a, a kind of fear of God that's a wrong fear. What might God do if I open the door? What might God do if I don't barricade myself in? What might God do if I allow someone to pray for me? I don't think I'll go forward. I don't think I'll respond. Because grace hasn't been received. Grace hasn't dealt with things. There's still resentment. Like God is likely to encroach on something. God is likely to invade Or we might, instead of thinking God, we might say the church. The church is the big problem. The church invades our time. The church invades our family, our finances. Let's pull the shutters down. Yeah, we'll sign our letter or whatever saying we're committed, but shut us down because there's fear. Grace hasn't yet dealt with it. When we're in the grace of God, it's like a city that has been at war and now it's peace. Out into the streets, enjoying freedom. When you're in the grace of God, you enjoy the peace. And you enjoy God. And it's safe to open up to God. It's safe to open your family up to God. It's safe to open your finances up to God. 
Because you're in the grace of God and you know he only loves you. And he only wants to do good things. You don't have to pull the shutters down. You don't have to say no, so far and no further. But, oh God, have all of me and all that I am and all that I have. I'm thrilled that my kids are running to this meeting and that meeting that they want you, God. I'm thrilled that our family life is disrupted, our finances and so Because God, you're God. You know, this grace, liberality, freedom, liberation, grace, and peace. Peace with God. And peace with God is a double-sided peace. We are at peace with him because he's at peace with us. The wrath of God that was there, his hostility towards us, taken away. Now there is just benevolence, generosity, kindness, mercy, good intentions, wonderful plans, amazing power. That's God. So from his side, there's peace. And yet we can pull the shutters down. And we can defend ourselves. And so I'm not sure I'm willing to open up for fear of what God might do. Never have that. Fear God with respect, yes. But never fear he might hurt you. If we, being evil, know how to give good gifts, we've heard it this morning, we, being evil, know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more will our Father in heaven give good things? He doesn't give dangerous things. It's never intending to hurt. It's safe to trust God. It's safe to open up to him. Peace with God and peace in ourselves. All those inner conflicts... Doubts, fears, anxieties that are natural to humanity. The fear of what will people think? What do people think? And we're frightened. No, grace deals with that. We're standing in grace, in the sheer love of God, in the kindness of God, in the mercy of God. So anxieties go. You know, Paul knows what he's talking about. He's, he's not wishing it for them and not being in it himself. He's very clearly in it himself. So he works through to these defiant, wonderful uh, cries in, in chapter 8. There's a whole sequence of them. But in chapter 8, verse 31, he says, What shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? There's a man who's at peace. No anxiety. No fear of what the future might bring. He's got peace in his heart. If God is for us, who can be against us? And God is for us. Peace with God leads to peace in ourselves. Writing to his friends in Philippi, he again expresses this wonderful freedom from anxiety. Even though things are tough, and things were certainly tough for the Apostle Paul, but nonetheless, he's able to say, In Philippians chapter 4, verse uh, 6, he says, "Don't, Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Don't be anxious. Tell God about it. And peace. In inexplicable peace. It's peace 
that transcends understanding. It's a sort of peace that just shouldn't be there because of what's happening around. But there will be peace from a right relationship with God. And then he, he goes on to say in verse 9, whatever you've heard, learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. So he speaks about, in verse 7, the peace of God, and in verse 9, the God of peace. God gives peace, and his peace takes away our anxieties, our insecurities, our fears, our doubts, our conflicts, because we know that God is for us. God is no longer subject to kind of testing is he, does he really love me? Yeah, grace. We've got hold of it. Grace. Amazing grace. I'm in the grace of God. Well, then what is there to worry about? What is there to worry about? Whatever happens, my security is the favor of God. I'm walking through life. It's like you know, when someone uh, is on stage in some theatrical uh, presentation, the stage is in darkness, and then one person comes and there's just a kind of circle of light, uh, one spotlight comes on them. And as they move across the stage, the spotlight moves over and they're in that light. We move through life like that. It's not light, it's the favor of God. Whatever situation, darkness around, but the favor of God is on us. Whatever we walk through, we walk into this problem. Oh, I've just lost my job. Or uh, all my savings have disappeared. Oh, I thought I had a pension. That's gone. We walk through God. Oh, there's tensions in the family. This has just happened. But we walk through in the favor of God. Of course, we're moved by those things. We have to react to those things. But it's the favor of God that takes away the anxiety, that takes away the fear. Because we're in grace, peace, grace to you, and peace. Peace with God, peace in ourselves, and of course then peace with one another. Paul is writing to a group of people, as I've said, he doesn't know them yet, he hopes to visit them, he hasn't visited them yet, but he's heard about them, and he knows a little bit about Rome, he's a Roman citizen. And he knows that among the believers in Rome, there are Jews, but there are also non-Jews. Now, historically, a massive conflict between those two groups, Jews and Gentiles, as they would be called, non-Jews and Jews. There's a, a rigid dividing wall between them. In the temple, there was a, a place beyond which no Gentile could go on pain of death. That's the kind of hostility. There was Gentiles are unclean. Jews are the distinct people of God. Now, Jews and Gentiles becoming believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, but still historic tensions between them. And Paul says, peace to you. In writing to the Ephesians, he speaks about these two groups, and he says of Jesus, he is our peace. He has taken away this dividing wall of hostility. So groups that historically distrust and dislike each other can be at peace. Now, we don't have that particular tension, the Jew-Gentile tension, but there can be other tensions between people. Wherever people meet together, there will be tensions. It can be racial. It might just be personality clashes. But wherever people meet, there can be tensions. And Paul says, peace to you. Now, how does grace bring peace between people? Well, we all know 
that our standing with God does not reflect on us. It's mercy. We, well, we were singing about it, about it earlier, and then Sarah prayed it. The vilest offender who truly believes, that's who we were. That's what we were. Whatever status we can have in life, whatever our background, the vilest offender. And appreciating grace means we know what we don't deserve. We don't deserve mercy. We're the vilest offender and we've been forgiven. Then we look at other people and we may think, yeah, he's the vilest offender. Yeah, but he's also received grace. Same, it levels us out. And we all find grace from God. Well then, if God can receive me, then I must receive my brother or my sister. Why not? We're all in the grace of God. Grace leads to peace. We all equally need grace. We all equally receive grace. And so in chapter 12... Paul is going to develop that and, uh, and then on from there. But in chapter 12 and verse 3, he says, By the grace given me, notice that, by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, but think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Yes, We're all in the grace of God, and whatever we have has been given by God, and therefore it goes goes on to speak about one body, members together in one body. We receive one another. Grace leads to peace. And so in that same chapter, Romans 12 and verse 18, Paul says, If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. People who are in the grace of God will tend to be very accepting of other people. People who haven't yet got hold of grace, people who feel God's kind of disapproval, are very likely to be disapproving of others. Quick to take offense. Quick to hear something that wasn't actually being said and get, get, feel overlooked, hurt, slighted or whatever. If you're not in the grace of God, people will find it difficult to relate with you because you can be a bit prickly, easily offended, withdrawing suspicious. All of those things can be there. But grace, the barriers are down. There's acceptance. Jesus came into this world full of grace and truth. And just look at the bunch of guys he accepted and ask yourself, would you have accepted those 12 men? Peter, so quick to boast of his stickability and faithfulness, and Jesus knows you're the one who's going to swear you never knew me. And so you can go through them. Thomas, one of the 12, is going to say, unless I see the wounds inside, I'm not going to believe. Oh, wonderful. This bunch of guys, when Jesus most needs them, he says, come and pray with me. They'll fall asleep. <laughs> Would you have received that bunch? Jesus did. Full of grace. Full of grace. Because he received us. <laughs> it's amazing. He received us. It's full of grace. The person who's in grace 
accepts people. So peace to you. Grace to you and peace. Peace with God where we're not frightened of him anymore. We're willing to open ourselves up to him. Peace in our hearts. Whatever happens, we're living in the grace of God. There's grace to help us in our time of need. And peace with one another. That's Paul's prayer wish for them. But he says, grace and peace to you from God our Father. Grace and peace are not two kind of abstract words. They're not just ideas. They come from a relationship with God. Because God is the author of peace. And God is full of grace. And so it's from God our Father. Notice, not God the Father, God our Father. He's not everyone's father. He is our father. We have been born again. We've become his children. In chapter 8 and verse 15, Paul speaks about the, the way we know that we belong to him. You didn't receive, he says, a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear. You receive the spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. He's our father, and he's... A wonderful father. He's a father who gives good things. He's a father who loves those who are part of his family. A gracious father. So grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Here, the Lord Jesus Christ linked with God the Father, both equally God, Father and Son, And Jesus Christ is the Lord, the one who changes things, the one who's supreme over everything, seen to be the Lord through his resurrection. And he can break through our barriers. He can break through all our hang-ups. He can break through the things that keep us out of grace and keep us out of peace. He's the Lord. He died and rose again. He's mighty. So grace and peace. This is not a vain wish. It's from God our Father. And the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul hasn't met these people, but he's got a fervent wish for them. A fervent prayer for them. You see, we can understand the words. I could say to you at the end of this meeting, so what does the word grace mean? And you hopefully could tell me. I could say, well, what does the word peace mean? And you could tell me something about that. But as understanding the words is not the same as knowing anything about it. We can have these concepts. Oh, well, we've known them for many years. We could maybe even speak about it quite fluently. It's not the same as knowing anything about it. And Paul wants these people to know about it. He wants them to have grace, to be in it, to be enjoying the grace of God and to be at peace, peace with God, peace in their hearts, peace with one another. Not just to know the words, but to experience and to enjoy and to live in grace. Where there's a freedom, freedom to take risks because it's grace. And there's, a, there's peace amongst God's people and peace in our hearts. So it's not what will people think? Did I do the right thing? Did I get there? But peace. It's wonderful. Can you just imagine what a church would be like 
where everyone in the church was enjoying the grace of God and experiencing peace. Can you imagine what it'd be like? Commitment would not be an issue. <laughs> people, you'd have to hold people back. Say, no, no, it's about time you took some time off. I want to be there. I want to do this. I want to do that. I want to give this. Oh, holy. You know, grace just releases from inhibition. Meetings would be a matter of, I think we've had enough prophecies right now. And, you know, after, uh, you know, a hundred tongues, it does get a bit confusing. So, can't, you know, the scripture says just two or three. Let's regulate it. Because everyone wants to take part. And praying for the sick. Yeah, we're going to see some healings because we're in grace now. We're not praying with total unbelief. I'm not going to see this. Grace. Oh, I, I can lay hands on this person. There's grace here. Wow, what's going to happen? Can you imagine what a church would be like? Don't you think this city would get shaken if there was a church in this city full of grace and peace? Can you just imagine it? Let your mind wander right now. It probably has been doing so for some time, but now I'm giving you permission. Let your mind wander and think what a church would look like if everyone didn't just know the meaning of the words, but really knew the meaning of the words. Grace. Wow, grace and peace. All those things I was worried about, all those things I feared, peace. I can can trust these people because there's peace. Can you imagine it? And then think of that group mobilized. Wow. Moving out in grace and peace. That's the church. That's the church. That's... What Paul is talking about is not theory. He's in it himself. He's living in that. And he's going to visit these people. And he says, grace and peace to you. He wants them to be in it. Because it will shake the city of Rome. And it will shake the empire. Grace and peace are not just concepts. They're there to be received and enjoyed. God is to be received and enjoyed. And if we've learned to put the shutters on, how we've been hurt in the past, we've been let down in the past. You know, like mainland Europe, they've been invaded in the past, but have the shutters. Take the shutters off. (laughs) Open up to God. He's good. He's a good father. And he's got blessing for you. 